Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Well, amen. I'm so glad you're here. You guys having a good time so far in the Lord? Aren't those kids awesome again, man? I just love those kiddos. Uh, one of the things I noticed, too, is I was just kind of uh, listening. Uh, man, you guys were really singing this morning. You sound so good, so thankful for you. Uh, man, I have a little daughter. I have actually a lot of those, but some of them are a little bit older. But, man, my youngest daughter, her name is Kessid, and she's going to be celebrating a birthday in a couple of weeks. Uh, man, if you would just use your imagination with me, imagine that my wife would buy her a cake Imagine that my wife would invite some guests over and buy her lots of presents. And then imagine later that evening that Rachel, my wife, came to me and asked me what I thought about the party. What if I responded by saying, well, I really don't know, sweetie. I mean, I really didn't get anything out of the party. It didn't really impact me. It definitely didn't feed me very well. People didn't bring me presents. We sing happy birthday with a guitar, but I'd rather have heard it on a ukulele. I mean, if I began responding that way, you would say, well, you're kind of crazy, right? You'd probably think that. I mean, after all, the party really wasn't about or for me. It was really about Kesed. Beloved, I want you to know that I believe we really say things like that about worship all the time. Because we primarily make worship in the service about us rather than about Jesus. We're here this morning really to celebrate Jesus. And this day, we set aside to celebrate him because it's on this day, on a Sunday, that Jesus rose from the dead. And so we bring him our gifts of praise. And we sing to him, and truly this isn't about us. And so I guess I got a question for you. I mean, did you come and bring your worship with you today? Or am I going to have to do church all by myself? I mean, don't let me do church by myself because I'll have a good time, amen? Now, listen, making it all about Jesus today means that we have to live like Jesus. We've talked about that. And one of the ways that we do that is we really just kind of imitate Jesus' humility. Last week, we kind of said, hey, where we're kind of headed in these couple of weeks was is this sermon in a sentence. We said, I can have Jesus' mindset when my mind is set on Jesus, I can get his mindset when I'm just constantly putting my mind on him. So then how do we have that mindset? We looked at that last week. We said this, that first of all, I can walk like Christ in humility. I can do that. And one of the ways I do that is I consider his selfless denial. We looked at the text that told us that although Jesus existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be uh, grasp, and, and that we saw that Jesus denied himself of his rights for other people. That takes a lot of humility. Then we looked at that we could consider his selfless duality, and that we saw that while Jesus was God, he came as a man, and not just as a man, but he became as a servant, and that Jesus took all that he was and really came and put on a servant servant's mindset, and he did that for, for us and to please his father. And, and in that humility, we can do that. And then we looked at consider his selfless death and that although Jesus had all this, he, he became obedient to the point of death, even the death 
of a cross, and we talked about how humiliating the death of a cross really was. So if we're going to make it about Jesus, we have to have this mindset of humility, and we can walk with Christ in humility, but this morning we're going to see that there's something else that we can do. We're going to see that if we're going to make it about Jesus, that it includes one more thing. And so I'm going to go back to our text that we began reading in last week, and that's going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. I don't know if you have a copy of God's Word. Man, I'd love to see those physical hard copies of God's Word. But man, if you want to bring a phone, an iPad, whatever it takes, whatever you know, floats your boat, I'm excited. But if you don't have a copy of God's Word, there's one in the seat pockets there, kind of under the chairs. Feel free to take that one home with you. It's our gift to you. But as you're finding Philippians chapter uh, 2, I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Version. That's kind of the preferred version I read and study from, okay? And I wonder if you just rise your feet as we kind of lift up the name of Jesus together as we read God's holy, inspired word. This is God's word to us today, and it's all about Jesus. I wonder if you'll just kind of pick it up. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says this, Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, tell me about that. Who, Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. And taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, something new this morning. And for this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven, those on the earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Would you pray with me? Oh, Jesus, today how I pray. That, Lord, we would just get a better glimpse of who you are. And that as a result of that, we could truly exalt you, uber exalt you today. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Here's the thing we're kind of looking at. Here's that second thing, if you're tracking along with me. Not only can I walk with Christ in humility, but here's the thing today. I can worship Christ with honor. I can worship Christ with honor. Look there in verse 9. The text tells us this, for this reason. For this reason, it begins showing us the results of Christ's humility. Your Bible may have the word therefore. It means the same thing for this reason, and it shows the link. In other words, here's the consequences of Christ's humility. The consequences are that the Father now highly exalts him. If you look there in the Bible, it says that the Father did this. He highly exalted him. That word highly exalted means to super elevate. In other words, no one is exalted like Jesus. Amen. Jesus is an exalted class all by himself. He re-entered the glory that he enjoyed with the Father before the world existed. And for all eternity, we would join the millions in giving him praise for this reason. But what reason? Well, the reason of his humility, his incarnation, his becoming a servant, his dying a sacrificial death, his humbling self to bring the Father glory. You see, Christ's humility follows a very biblical principle found throughout the entire Bible that says this. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. His incomparable self-humiliation leads to his super-exaltation. So then how can I exalt him as well? How can I do that? 
Well, first of all, we celebrate his exalted position. Celebrate his exalted position. Look there again in verse 9. I want you to see it. It says, for this reason, God highly exalted him. Now, you have to understand that that's a compound word. It's made up of two words, one which means really the, the over. It means over. So if I'm going to put something over something else, and then it also means to lift or to raise up. So what this word means is when it says that God has highly exalted him, it means he's lifted him up over everything else. That's what happens with Jesus, that God lifted up his beloved son in the most magnificent way possible. And it involves a couple of things. It involves his resurrection, and it involves his, his ascension, his coronation, his intercession, and then his session. The first aspect of this lifting up that we find throughout Scripture about Jesus' exaltation, his being lifted up above everything else, was in his resurrection from the dead. If you'll remember, Peter in Acts 2 said, this God raised up again Jesus to which we are all witnesses. Later, after being released from prison in Jerusalem, Peter and, and, and the other apostles, they were before the Sanhedrin, and they said this, this, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you put to death by hanging on a cross. So we see that in the resurrection, God has raised him up. It doesn't mean just raised him from the dead. It also means that he's raised him up above everyone else. The second aspect of the Father's exaltation of Jesus was his ascension. If you remember when Jesus kind of arose, he, he looked to Mary Magdalene and he said to her, Hey, stop clinging to me, for I'm not yet ascended to my Father but you go and tell the brethren that I ascend to my father and your father, my God and your God. That's John 20. But later, after he given the instructions to the 11 on the Mount of Olives, he was lifted up while they were looking on, if you'll remember that. As Paul explained to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, he said, Jesus was taken up in glory. Well, what's another aspect of his exaltation was his coronation. His coronation, when giving the Great Commission, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Having ascended now, Jesus, Peter tells me, is at the right hand of God. Peter and the others testified to the Sanhedrin that, with the Sanhedrin that Jesus is the one God has exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior. As Stephen was about to die, we read these words that, that being full of the Holy Spirit in Acts, it tells us that Stephen gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God at his head. He said this, Behold, I see the heavens open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. You see, from heaven... The Lord Jesus Christ forever reigns, as the Bible tells me in Ephesians, far above all rule and all authority, far above all power and dominion, and every name that is named, he is above that, not only in this age, but also in the age to come, because the Father has put everything in subjection under his feet. And because of that, because of his authority and his power, Jesus will always be forever both the dead of the living, the Lord of the dead and the living, because it was to this end that he lived and died again, it tells me in Romans. What I need you to know here today is, is that Jesus Christ has been coronated and he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And there's nothing anybody can do about that. The fourth aspect of his exaltation is that he's honored as our high priest. He's not just called our priest, but he's called our high priest. That's interesting because that means the highest of the highs of priests. 
Jesus intercedes for us, right? The Bible tells us in Romans 8 that he intercedes for us at the right hand of God. Hebrews tells me that he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. But then he goes on to say in in Hebrews, for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Jesus is our very high priest. That's a part of this exaltation. And finally, is the aspect of his, his session. In other words, in Psalm 110, we see David saying this, Yahweh said to David's Lord, he said, sit at my right hand. And what he was saying is, is be seated in the highest place of authority in the universe. What you need to understand is, is that when somebody's talking about seating them at the right hand, it's seating them at the place of all authority and all power. To be seated at the right hand is the highest place and position of honor. Jesus has been and always will continue to be super exalted. And I need to tell you about Jesus. The Bible tells us that when Jesus was in heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Can I just tell you this morning, Jesus sat down not because he was tired, but because he was finished. Amen. He's finished. God brought Jesus back to the glory of heaven that he had previously enjoyed. And then he even lifts him up higher than he even was before. Oh, beloved, this even gets much better. Because look, it says there in verse 9 that God highly exalted him. And then watch. And bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Now that word bestowed is a great word. It comes from the word that we get our word grace from. It's the word charis. Charizidzimai is, is what the word is. It means a graced idea, a graced gift. In other words, the Father gave the name that's above every name to Jesus. Jesus so completely satisfied the Father and fulfilling all that he did that he gave him a greater title. The Bible tells me in Hebrews 1, having become as much better than the angels, he has inherited a much more excellent name than they. The Bible says this name was given to him to emphasize his rank above all other beings. It reflects his divine essence and nature, but the new and unique privileges mentioned because of what the Father has doing to honor him. This name is incomparable. In other words, what I want to see here is it's the name above every name. So if we're talking in English here, we would talk superlatives, good, better, best, right? Best is the superlative. If you were to say something is good, gooder, and and bestest, If that's how you want to say it, that's fine too. But you get the idea. When it says that he's given him the name above every other name, that's in the superlative form in the Greek, and it means there is no name higher than his name. It is the name above every name. But what is it? What is that name? See, that's where we have to do a little bit of research. And and I borrow from Moriah here. He says the phrase, and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, raises the question, what is that name? Now, some just simply say it's the name of Jesus. But the majority of commentators and the people that I've studied say that he gave him the name L-O-R-D. You see, some would say, well, the name Jesus fixed the context. And because the next verse says, so that the name of Jesus, every name will bow. But, but I want you to follow along with me. First, the name of Jesus doesn't fit the upward shift of this passage, which makes a huge climax in verse 11, where Jesus then is there declared Lord. Second, Jesus was his name at birth, but this seems to be a new name. You see, Hansen says, at the incarnation, the name of Jesus was given. But when God exalted Jesus, he then gave him another name, Lord. Gordon Fee points out that Jesus was graced with a name, 
which implies he didn't previously have it. There's, there's this intertextual connection here, and you have to see this, that's found in Isaiah 42.8 in order to understand what we're talking about here. In Isaiah 42.8, God says, I am Yahweh, that is my name, and I will not give my glory to another. But Philippians 2.11 says that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you see that? Well, that's the same word, that's Yahweh. What are we trying to say here? That, that God gives the Son his own personal name. That's, that's why his name is above every name, is because it's the name of God himself. Isaiah 45, 23 says that every knee will bow to me and every tongue swear allegiance. Finally, that Lord carried deeper meaning to the Philippians because to hear somebody say somebody besides Caesar was Lord would be shocking to them. So we have to understand contextually that this was, had to be another name. So what name did Jesus receive after his resurrection that he did not have before? Well, it can't be Jesus because Jesus was the humble servant who went to Calvary. Acts 2.36, Peter says, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. It's his lordship and messiahship, his messianic lordship that was bestowed on him at his exaltation. Not that he wasn't Messiah and Lord before. He was, but he hadn't fulfilled the mission of the Messiah until after he had died and rose again for, for our sins. Therefore, before his death and resurrection, the lordship of Christ over the world had not been brought to full actuality. The rebel forces were not defeated. The power of darkness held the world in its grip. But in order to be reclaimed and reclaimed and acclaimed as Messiah and Lord, the Son of God had to come, defeat the enemy, and lead his people out of bondage and, and be, lead him in triumph over sin and Satan and death. And he did that on Good Friday and Easter. So therefore, when Jesus is given the name which is above every name, it means that Jesus has been given the title Lord of all. You see, even if you aren't persuaded with me that that's what's happening, the point is still the same. Jesus is exalted as Lord, as the Father. He went all the way down to the cross and became all the way up as Lord of all. Paul says in Ephesians, he says this, that every title given, not in this age, but also in the one to come, that Jesus would be greater than that. So I want you to understand this. As we continue to wait, and I'm not trying to be political here, I'm just making a point. As we continue to wait for the results of the election, no matter who wins, I can promise you that there are going to be celebration. I just promise you there are going to be people who are going to celebrate, no matter how that all kind of gets wired down. But the position of the United States president is one of the highest positions in the world. Yet think with me, the man that will be elected, although having one of the highest positions in the world, is a still a very fallen, sinful individual. And he will let you down, and he's probably going to hurt you with what he does or he doesn't do. He will most likely never know your name, or he will never do anything personally for you. Yet, there will be incredible celebration over whoever is named the president of the United States. I'm here today to tell you there's one who's never sinned. There's one who will never let you down, who knows you personally, has done everything possible to demonstrate his love for you and sacrifice his life for you. And I think we ought to celebrate Jesus' exalted position. Here's what I'm trying to tell you today. Jesus ain't running for president. He has a name that's in its own class. It's Majestus. He's not up for a vote, and he'll never be up for re-election, and he's never going to be defeated. Can I get somebody in the place today just to tell me how precious the name of Jesus is to you? Is it the name above every name? Is it the highly exalted name? Isn't that why we came in a place today? Listen, don't make me have church by myself. I'm trying to tell you. I'm going to have me some church today, amen? 
Because that's the name. Listen to me. The Father has super exalted him. To the artist, Jesus is the one altogether lovely. To the architect, he is the chief cornerstone. To the baker, Jesus is the living bread. To the banker, he is the hidden treasure. To the biologist, he is life. To the builder, he is the sure foundation. To the doctor, he's the great physician. To the educator, he's the great teacher. To the farmer, he is the lord of the harvest. To the forest, he is the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. To the geologist, he's the rock of ages. To the jurist, he is the righteous judge and judge of all men. To the jeweler, he's the pearl of great price. To the lawyer, he is the counselor, the lawgiver, and the advocate. To the horticulturist, he is the true vine. To the newspaper man, he is the good tidings of great joy. To the oculist, he is the light of the world. To the philanthropist, he is the unspeakable gift. To the philosopher, he's the wisdom of God. To the preacher, he's the word of God. To the sculptor, he's the living stone. To the servant, he is the good master. To the statesman, he's the desire of all nations. To the student, he is the incarnate truth. To the theologian. He is the author and finisher of our faith. To the traveler, he is the new and living way. To the toiler, he is the one who gives rest. And to the sinner, he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But to the Christian brothers and sisters, he is the Son of the living God, the Savior and the Redeemer and our Lord. That's the name above every name. Amen. Can we have some church in here today? Amen. I came to celebrate Jesus. Amen. Did you? Listen, Dr. Adrian Rogers once said this, to explain Jesus is impossible, amen, but to ignore him is disastrous and to reject him, oh my goodness, it's fatal. My speech is too limited to describe him. My mind is too small to comprehend him and my heart is inadequate to fully contain the one whose name is Jesus, amen. I can worship Jesus by celebrating his exalted position, but I got more, amen, because we're talking about Jesus. We're just getting started, amen. Woo, I'm ready to go. Y'all ready to go? All right, I'm just telling you, man, we can celebrate not only his exalted position, but celebrate his exalted praise. Celebrate his exalted praise. Look in your Bible, if you will, verse 10. Put your eyes on the text. It says, so that the name of Jesus, that's something about that name, amen. I mean, you just say that name and demons have to flee, amen. I mean, you just say that name and dead things come to life, amen. Ain't no other name people taking in vain these days, I can tell you that. Because there's something about that name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who in heaven and on earth and under the earth. In response to Christ's universal lordship, everybody has to bow and everybody has to confess him as Lord. And Isaiah 45, all will bow to Yahweh. And here in Philippians, it tells us that all will bow to Jesus and confess that he's Lord. You know what that tells me? That Jesus is God. Amen. You need to, you need to know that. But it says there that every tongue will, will confess and every knee will bow that, that what? Jesus is Lord. That's the earliest confession of the gospel. Because Paul tells me in Romans 10, 9, and 10, that if I confess with my mouth and believe my heart that God raised him from the dead, I would what? I would be saved. But I'm confessing that Jesus is Lord. The gospel means this. Here's what the gospel is. That I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord. It's when I bow my heart and submit my life to Jesus. I turn from my sin, and I turn to him as Lord. By doing that, I am saved from my sin. Paul tells us that those who submit to the supreme authority of Jesus will be compromised of three groups. He says, first of all, that those who are in heaven. Isn't that what the text says in verse 10? This is those in heaven. That means the holy angels and the saints and the redeemed believers of all ages. They're up there right now continually praising Jesus Christ as Lord. Amen. How many of you can't wait to get to heaven and join that heavenly choir? Amen. Woo, praise the Lord. It's coming. Amen. But then he says, 
that the group of those will be here on earth. Thank God for our children leading us to praise the Lord this morning. Amen. Show us a little bit about how to do that. Amen. The Bible says that not only will the people in heaven do it, but the people here on earth. That means those who are saved, those who have been forgiven, and those who have not been. The redeemed will continue their praise that, that begun when they were saved. At the same time, though, however, through unwillingly and often in terror, those who do not know the name of Jesus will be forced to bow their knee before him. Did you know that? Did you know that one day, here's the sad reality, my beloved friends. One day, if you do not know the Lord Jesus now, here's the sad reality, is that you will come to realize that he's Lord. And it won't be because Jesus will force you to recognize that you would just see it. When he comes in all his glory, the entire world will recognize that Jesus is Lord. Every knee will bow because he is so majestic. And here's the sad reality. Those who choose to deny him as Lord will spend forever in hell realizing that he's Lord, but realizing now there's nothing they can do about it. That's a sad reality to realize you've been wrong and you will forever be wrong. It will not change the fact that he's Lord. The Bible tells me then those who are under the earth will admit that. That talks about the fallen angels and all those who have died that are now awaiting final judgment and eternal punishment. This third group includes those spirits in prisons, the demons that are already bound in the abyss to whom Jesus already went and, and pronounced that judgment on them to be there. Listen to me, beloved. I'm joining together this morning to praise the Lord and I'm continuing to bow my knees in humble praise of him because listen to me, that's what we're gonna be doing forever anyway, right? And here's what I'm here today to tell you, man. You may know this story, but I read a long time ago, and it just kind of dawned back on me this week that there's this captain of a ship. And this captain looked out into the dark night, and he saw the faint lights of something else in the distance. Well, immediately his captain told his signalman, he said, hey, send a message to whatever that is and say this, alter your course 10 degrees to the south. Well, promptly a message was received that, that came back from whatever that was. It said, well, alter your course 10 degrees to the north. Well, the captain was angered. His command had been ignored, so he sent a second message. Alter your course 10 degrees to the south. I am the captain. Well, soon a reply was received. Alter your, your course 10 degrees to the north. I am a seaman third class Jones. Well, immediately the captain sent a third message, knowing that the fear that this would evoke he said, alter your course 10 degrees to the south. I am a battleship. The reply came back, alter your course 10 degrees to the north. I am a lighthouse. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter how big you are. It doesn't matter what kind of a battleship you may think you are. How self-asserting, how confident you may be how you want to deny or maybe in avoid that Jesus Christ is Lord, but one day you will recognize. And one day you will be forced to either admit that he's Lord or you will fall upon him as Lord. There is no getting around Jesus. But can I tell you this? Jesus does not want you to be destroyed. Jesus wants you to come and submit your life to him and experience all that he is. You can't just hear about Jesus and think you're going to continue to sell on in life. There's coming a day when we have to bow the knee, whether we believe it, whether we ever receive it, or whether we accept it, it will happen. 
And so I beg you today to come to the Lord, receive forgiveness of your sins, come and let him love you and come let him save you because he truly is the light of the world. I can worship Jesus with honor by celebrating his exalted position and I can celebrate his what exalted praise, but there's one more thing the Bible tells us today and that is this, celebrate his exalted profession. Celebrate his exalted profession. Verse 11 says this, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As predicted in Isaiah 45, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Now listen to me, that word tongue. I have to pay attention to the Bible when it uses that word. And every time it's using that word, it means a known language. I'm speaking to somebody in the room. It's a known language. No matter what your language, every human and angelic being will one day confess that Jesus is Lord. The holy angels, the redeemed saints in heaven and earth, and all the enemies of God on earth and in hell forever, confined by his unbreakable power that holds him in eternal punishment. Everybody will eventually confess that Jesus is Lord. Not only will they bow before him, but they will make the confession, you are Lord. Even the damned demons, including Satan, will have no choice but to agree with Christ and confess that he really is Lord. Paul says everyone will bow. Everyone will profess that Jesus is Lord. Listen to me. Many will confess him with, as Lord with great joy and humility. Others will confess him as Lord in despair and anguish. But can I tell you that Pilate and Caiaphas and Stalin and Hitler and every other evil dictator will confess him as Lord. Did you know that one day everyone from, from every age will do the same? And this, this phrase right here has an already not yet dimension. You see, because I confess him as Lord now, but I look forward to a day when I will confess him as Lord even more. And you need to understand today that history is not like a treadmill. Just kind of get on it and keep doing your thing. History is actually moving in a direction to where everybody will confess that Jesus is Lord. And I want you to know, if you don't acknowledge and confess that Jesus is Lord in this life, it will be too late when you recognize it and confess it when you stand before him. To confess Jesus as Lord in the first century meant that Caesar was not Lord. And as a result of such confessions, many were persecuted and killed. Justin led us this morning in prayer for the persecuted church. Here's what I'm trying to tell you today. When you claim the name of Jesus as Lord, it will bring persecution. The same fate exists many today around the world that claim Jesus as the Lord and Savior. And those who confess Christ now will not regret it, though, when they see him. Contrastingly, those who refuse now will wish they had heeded the message. But he says this, this is interesting, that we're going to confess it to the glory of God the Father. Did you see that? To the glory of God the Father. That's what this is really all about. That's where Jesus' humility comes back in. Did you see even his humility in that? That he's not going to take all the glory for himself, but he's going to put the glory back to the Father. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, 28 says, and when everything is subject to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him so that God may be all and all. The glory of the Father is a fitting conclusion to this hymn. For this is what the heart was made to do, was to glorify God. And humility involves the pattern of Jesus for the glory of God. I remember a long time ago, maybe you remember this, maybe you don't, maybe I'm just a little bit old enough to kind of be in that class now where I'm not really relevant anymore. I'm not really sure. Um, but there used to be this old TV commercial and it had this mechanic and he was standing in front of a car. 
And this mechanic in front of this car would say something like this. He would say on the commercial, you can pay me now or you can pay me later. And what he was saying is, is he had this oil filter in his hand. And he was saying, if you come down to our gas station and you let me replace your oil filter, now you pay me a little. But if you don't, you're going to have to pay me to replace your whole engine. You're going to pay me now a little or you pay me a whole lot later. Can I tell you, here's the truth. You're either going to pay Jesus now or you pay him later. There's coming a day. There's coming a day when you pay him now or you pay him later. God so loved the world that he came to earth as a man to bring us back to God. He knew that we were separated from him, that we were dead in our sins. We had no way to pay for our sins, no way of ever getting back to God, no way to experience all that he had for us. We were just left to die and face God's, face God's wrath. But Jesus came in the form of a man and being found in the likeness of a man became a servant and he served and loved you and I. Then he gave his life to pay for our sins on the cross and the Father accepted Jesus' perfect sacrifice and by doing so, the wrath of God was satisfied. The Father accepted that. The way to God now was open. Forgiveness was available. Life over death was possible. Jesus, because of his great love for the Father, did this for you and for me. And as Lord of Lords and as King of Kings, he now stands in this room ready to save any and all who would call out on his name. Now, I've done that. I've done that. I can't tell you how wonderful it really is, but I'm here this morning asking you today, would you join me in giving him praise? Would you join me today by giving your life over to him and celebrating who he really is? If you haven't come to know the Lord Jesus and you haven't come to, to receive his forgiveness, would you come today? And if you have, would you join me as we begin to make our way to the invitation where we can really praise him? I want you to hear something. P.T. Forsyth said this, and I agree with this. He said, the first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but to find its master. Would you do that today? Would you, would you join me in praising him today? You see, man gave Jesus a cross, but God gave him a crown. Man gave Jesus a grave, but God gave him back his glory. Man gave Jesus anguish, but God gave him adoration. Man expelled Jesus, but God exalted Jesus. Man gave Jesus thorns, but God gave him a throne. Man pierced him with nails, but God gave him a name. And it's the name above every name. And at that name, every knee will bow and every tongue will eventually confess that Jesus is God to the glory of the Father. Now listen to me this morning. There's an old man. And his name is S.M. Lockridge, and he's done a marvelous, marvelous job of explaining who Jesus is. And before we prepare ourselves for the invitation, where many of you will come, and I beg that many of you will come here before me, and you will ask us to pray with you, and many will turn in their seats and, and lift their hands to praise God. Some will call upon the name of the Lord today. Before we do that invitation, I want you to hear S.M. Lockridge as he presents Jesus, that name which is above every name. Would you listen to this with me this morning? The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternal.
eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's impurely powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him for you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Terror couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah!